already, Lamentations 3, I typed it out so you could read it if that is not already in your head and your heart. And if your head is like my head, I totally know these verses, but I just go blank, you know. So um, say with me, Lamentations 3, 21 and 22. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. The Lord's mercies, mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Is thy faithfulness. Let that sink in. I personally need to say that one more time. It's going to collect my thoughts. Lamentations 3, 21 and 22. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His compassion, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. All right, with that in mind, let's name some things that consume us. It is by the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Did any of you get consumed about anything last week? Trina, I need your um, penmanship here. I want us to quickly name a few things that consume us. They can be light, trite, and, and very shallow, or they can be deep and serious. They can be tough things, hard things, rough things, or they can be good things. You know we can get consumed with good things just as quickly as we can get consumed with bad things? Mm-hmm. Very good. Tammy, name one. Your list, which goes back to, to time, time management. We never seem to have enough time. I, Courtney? Um, I watch too much politics. Yeah, yeah, politics. Politics can consume us. And I'm going to mention another thing about that. Work. Work. Work can consume us. Jan? And we're going to address that. Don't we fall into that trap? So we're consumed by a worry. Okay, worry can consume us. Family. Family, family issues, family problems. Um, boy, they can just burn us up. That's being consumed. I know it. Amen. Amen. Children. And I love what uh, Teresa was the progenitor of our wow and praying for each other's kids and uh, grandkids, which reminds me, um, Leslie asked me about Clint. And it was such a sweet reminder. When you pray through your scroll, would you put Clint on mine? Um, I should have done that. <laughs> He's at the top of my prayer list all the time. But I was thinking grandkids. And um, so anyways, I said, Leslie, thank you for asking me about that. Because you know what? I would love to have Clint added to my list on your sheet. So that would be great. But yes, children and grandchildren. Because what our choices always affect others. And uh, when those things happen, boy, I tell you, you just want to be there speaking the truth. Somebody else? Barb? Yes, sin is abounding. Yes, I, I'm so happy you mentioned that because this is right 
This is like, I think, point two buried in here somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, so you know what? We could spend the rest of the class listing the things that consume us, couldn't we? But that's not where our focus is to stay. We are to acknowledge them. I think I said a couple weeks ago, this is not a Pollyanna version of life. No, 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 no. We acknowledge what they are. It's not sweeping it under the rug. It's not burying it inside of you and me. Because you know what happens when we bury stuff inside? It comes out in a much worse form. It, it creeps. It takes over. It never stays in that neat little box of I can't stand that person. What happens is it, it slides out like something out of a Japanese horror movie. And then I take that same I can't stand that person and I affect somebody else with it. And we're going to talk about that this morning. It never stays. We are to address it. We are to acknowledge it. We are to say, Lord, and I love David because David all through the Psalms does this. And then the Lord says, my compassions fail not. They are new every morning. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you exactly what you need to do concerning the things that consume you. You are not to live consumed today, Naomi. You are to live. I can't wait to tell you how we are to live. We're going to go to it right now. Turn to your Bibles and put it on your notes, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Oh, by the way, I didn't draw the application to your cookie. Man, these cookies whipped out so fast. Um, here's an extra one for John, Julie. Um, these are lemon cookies. Lemon cookies. These are lemon cookies. They are... How many of you have ever had the lemon cookie from Panera? Oh, talk about addictions. This is their recipe for Panera's lemon cookie. Now, Panera's lemon cookie is like this. And I love big cookies, but the recipe I followed was for this size, and I didn't, it was the first time doing it. I didn't dare mess with it. So this is a lemon cookie. It is, its ingredients are bitter. It's real lemon zest, a whole bunch. It's real squeezed lemon juice, a whole bunch. But why is this cookie delicious? No? Well, partly. It's because the other ingredients have been added to the bitter, to the sour. Other ingredients have been. God wants us to understand this lesson. There are so many bitter, sour things on a daily basis in our lives. God doesn't take them away. He adds his ingredients to them for the purpose of us tasting and seeing that God is good because it's all about God. God gets the glory. Yes, there are bitter things in our lives. Yes, there are sour, unfair things in our lives. But you know what? God says, that's the very thing I want to use. Let me add what I am giving to you to add. Please receive it because it's going to change the taste and see. And you know what? People are going to say, and you're going to give me the glory. It is for God's glory. So get that whole formula because we've got to learn it. And I've learned it for today, but I'm going to have to learn it again tomorrow. All right? The practicality of it. His compassions fail not. They are what, class? When? Why? <laughs> Every morning. We need it. We need that solution. So... Here's the first main ingredient that God wants us to add to the bitter, to the hard, to the things that consume us. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. I just love this. And God is able. Oh, wait. Those four words, that's a power statement that you need to get a hold of and plant in your brain. 
And this I recall to my mind. What are we to recall to our mind? You were to recall God's truth. Okay, the truth, I need Mary every day, and God is able. And God is able. And learn to verbally say that when you come up nose to nose with all of these things. Immediate learn. It's a learned response. It's a learned response. And God is able. My God is able. So here we go. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now, I love these adverbs in here. Look at this. And God is able to make all grace, all grace abound toward you that ye always, look at these, underline them in your Bible, having all sufficiency. Have you ever felt insufficient? I do on a daily basis. I feel so insufficient to the task of the day, to the task of life, to the burdens of life, to people. God says, Kathy, you are not to live today insufficiently. I am giving you my grace that is all sufficient, all sufficient, and ready, all things, all things, that ye may what? Say it with me. Oh, say it like the word means it. Abound, abound, abound. God wants our middle name, Tigger, because that's what I think of every time I say the word abound. That's to be our middle name, Louise. We are to abound. And what do we get to abound to? Every good work. Every good work. So here's the first ingredient that is assimilated in us with what is sour or bitter. When you enjoy your lemon cookie this afternoon with your tea or your coffee, you say to yourself, and God is able to make me abound. It's not about the sour and the bitter. But boy, that gets our focus, doesn't it, Jan? The worry, the worry. And God's grace accessible to me, and then, and then me taking God's grace and living in reference to the truth, what he says about it, immediately the things that I would worry about, the things that I would be consumed with, how do you fight it? You fight it with the word of God. The word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You take the wonderful word of God and you say, my God is able. And this is the plan we have, and God, we are going to, we are going to drive through that snowstorm because it's a situation in which we need to be there. And so we are going to trust in you, and you are able. And I will relax in that. Clint, relax, okay? So God is able to make all grace abound toward me that I always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, there's something I want you to get in here. God's sufficiency is making all the grace I need for every moment is for the purpose and pleasure of abounding. So tell your neighbor, you get to abound today. Tell her, you get to abound today. Now, the, account of, the accountability question is this. Ready? Am I? Am I? Wow. If I'm not, hmm, let's think about that. See, the real meaning of abound is large amounts 
or quantity. In the Latin, it comes from unda, U-N-D-A, meaning a wave or a fountain, an abounding wave, large amounts, quantity, which takes us to, Barb, what you mentioned, Romans 5.20, but where sin abounded, don't we see sin abounding in our world as never before? And don't we um, get affected by it? And don't we feel overwhelmed by it? And do you know what all the angels in heaven are saying to, to my response to sin abounding? No! No, because where sin abounds, look at the last part of that verse, ready? Grace did much more abound. The first ingredient, Mary, you and I are to put into what irritates us, bothers us, overwhelms us, hurts us, God's grace. God's grace wins. And where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. I love that. That tells me I'm going to win today with God's grace. It's a picture of what God has given you and me, first of all, in salvation. For by grace are ye saved. It's for my cleansing, for my refreshment, but it's for bubbling up and spilling over. That's where the word abound comes into the word grace. That word grace is meant for us to, yes, receive it, enjoy it, be renewed by it, be refreshed by it, be um, uh, strengthened by it. But there's a bigger purpose than just me. And we go, oh, there is? <laughs> because we live so self-absorbed, you know. Yes, that grace is to so overflow and abound that it splashes on others. Others that desperately need salvation. Others that desperately need to see God's grace. Who did you splash on yesterday? Who did I splash on yesterday? I loved the shower, the beautiful shower. And sweet Carissa Hutter got up and she just, she abounded in the truth of the word. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful. It so blessed my heart as she spoke the truth of the word of God in relationship to being a mom. She didn't sugarcoat it. We, most of us have been there, you know. And she got, she, she, got, she got the point across that, yes, it's hard, but you know what? God's grace is greater than the hardships of motherhood. Matter of fact, God's grace is meant to be seen in the hardships of motherhood. And we're going to talk about our response because every choice we make in response to th this stuff affects others. And I get to choose God's grace or I get to choose Kathy's growling. So God uses what he has given us to touch others. He uses what he has given me. He's given me his grace. He says, now, Kathy, apply this grace to everyone you come in contact with. Um, you are meant to touch others with God's grace. Whenever I run across the word touch, um, a lot of times in recipes and in conjunction with your lemon cookie, in old-fashioned recipes, you read the ingredient list and it'll say a touch of. I have my mom's old recipes and often it's, it's listed a touch of. And whenever I read that, I can't help but think of my sister, my younger sister, my only sister, my favorite sister, my best sister, <laughs> my blonde sister, my real blonde sister. I'm not, I don't know what I am anymore, just growing out. But anyways, Chrissy is three years younger than me. And Chrissy and I, uh, we were not skilled in the culinary art of cooking. 
Matter of fact, we would have qualified for that TV food show, Worst Cooks in America. We were never, never in the kitchen. The only reason we were in the kitchen was to wash the dishes after supper. That was the only reason. And we couldn't wait to get that job done and get out of there. We, we just uh, had no idea, had no clue. Well, we were both newlyweds, and on a very skimpy budget, Chrissy decides to make her husband scalp potatoes. And uh, they were cheap. So after looking into her uh, wedding-gifted Betty Crocker How to Cook cookbook, she reads the recipe that starts out ham and potatoes, uh, scalped ham and potatoes. Well, she minus the ham because they didn't have any. It was too expensive. She had the potatoes. And so she went to proceed with the recipe. She sliced the potatoes. She added the milk. And then she adds the one-fourth cup of butter. And then under that, it just listed pepper, but no amount. So she assumed it meant the same amount as what was just listed, a fourth a cup. So my dear blonde sister, now understand, we did not even know where the spice cover was. We really didn't. My blonde sister, by the way, she kept a straight A average. I'm not even talking A minus. A straight A average all through high school took the hardest math classes, science classes, language classes that Lake Fenton High School offered. She was, she was like, she's... She's very, very smart. She's very, very intelligent. But she's so blonde. Okay. So she took that pepper canister, and Diane, she practically dumped the whole thing in a fourth a cup measuring cup because that's about all there is in a spice can. Dumped the whole thing. Got that fourth a cup, sprinkled it over the potatoes, had the oven preheated to 350, put it in to bake it for an hour. To bake it for an hour. Well... Have you ever been in a room where something spicy is cooking and uh, it starts to burn your nose and your eyes start to water, you know? Well, her husband walks in the door and uh, their little kitchen table is right there in the kitchen, like a foot from the oven. And he hesitantly asks, what's cooking? <laughs> and uh, so they, they pray and uh, Chrissy takes the casserole out of the oven the potatoes are virtually black, all right? But to Renee, being the kind husband he is, he goes ahead and he takes a big bite. He coughs, he chokes, he spits, <laughs> he sneezes, he hoarsely shouts, water! He leaps up from the table, knocking over the chair, and he's an elephant in a china cabinet anyways, knocks over the chair, runs to the kitchen sink, sticks his head underneath the faucet, and is turning on the water. And Chrissy goes, oh, Renee, it's not that bad. And he said, you try it. She takes a bite, and she says one word, water! <laughs> Should have been just a touch of pepper, but she got the recipe wrong. Girls, when we get the recipe wrong concerning the things that consume us, we choke. We choke. The people that we touch choke. We affect everybody else because we didn't get God's recipe right. We didn't get his ingredient put in. And boy, the amounts he gives us to put in, abounding with his grace, spilling, splashing over. So going back to Martha's lesson from last week. I hope you all remember parts of it, but remember Martha's kitchen? Okay, some really good smells are coming out of her kitchen. The first step in receiving God's grace, this is, I'm going to give you five steps in applying God's grace to the things that choke us, that consume us. The first 
the first thing I need to do, the first step in receiving God's grace is give him my have. My have. We talked about that last week. My have. We have no have. Um, by the way, I can't think of the reference right now, but great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Do you know what? We always get to the part of that verse. We always focus on, I'm, I don't have to live offended. I don't have to be offended. That's, that's just a consequence of the most important part of this verse. Great peace. Great peace. That's like the word abounding. Have they which love thy law. This is the whole crux of it. Now, the natural consequence of that is going to be I'm not going to live offended. But look at the first part. Great peace. In all of these things that bother us, that consume us, God says, no, 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 I've got my grace here to add to this, and if you live loving my law, loving what I tell you to do concerning that issue, you're going to have great peace. You're going to have great peace. It's wonderful. What is it? 119, Psalm? 119. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, 165. Great peace. In other words, now let me, let, me, let me just give you a little example, a little trite example, because we, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine that wreck our day. That's, our day should never be wrecked. It's not my day to wreck. I didn't make this day. God made this day. Now, he does give me a response to this day. He says, Kathy, I want you to be glad in it. I want you to rejoice and be glad in it. I want you to be, I, this is the response I'm to live in in the day that he has lent me to live. The accountability question is, isn't it amazing what little thing can separate me from the law of the Lord and I lose my peace? For instance, any child or grandchild make a big fat mess around you? I'll go to children because we have so much more grace with our grandchildren than we have with our children, okay? Um, but a child does something, ready, S-T-U-P-D, again, S. T-U-P-I-D again. And as a mom, I have two choices, but my choice will always affect for godliness or for not. And so as that child does something, S-T-U-P-I-D, you don't sweep it under the rug, you don't ignore it, but you learn a response. I have to learn a response. Do you know I lived so consumed, I, I lived so consumed with the fact that the girls always would get convulsions with fevers. I lived, I lived in fear. You talk about living in fear of the storm. I lived in fear, and because it went on for years, praise God, he taught me, and I learned Christ, and I learned to love the law, or I just would have been a basket case because I was becoming that. Every time one of the babies would get a fever, and they would go into convulsions, and we would race to the hospital, and every time Tina or Trina would get a fever, the other one would follow within a half hour, and they would both be going into convulsions, and they would both go blank. And I did not know what, what was going to be happening because of what was going on in their brain. Dear Lord, dear Lord, I've got to get this fever down. I have to get this fever down. I did everything to get this fever down. Do you know what? I had to learn to give my half to I don't have to get this fever down. I, Lord, Lord, you know what I'm supposed to do. You, and the, and the whole, what's this all rooted in is the fact that these are not my babies to begin with. 
Lord, these are a gift from you given to me unexpectedly for however long your good plan is. And until you learn that submission, that it's all God's, you never live free. You never live light. You cannot abound because you're always focused into these things in life that consume us. God's sweet preparation for my little son, Clint. God's so good. His grace abounds. And you'd think I'd learned the lesson, you know? But then I got consumed because I couldn't keep track of Clint's glasses. And I've told you about that before. He'd bury them in plants. He'd flush them down the toilet. He'd throw them out the window. And I was living in reference to those awful glasses. And it just consumed my day, Louise. It was awful. Here, God had blessed me with three beautiful little babies. Yes, they were all at once, but that has, that's beside the point. More is more, right? <laughs> go big or go home, right? <laughs> I was ready to go home. Not, not my earthly home, my heavenly home on some days. And, and God says, Kathy, they're not your glasses to find. And, you know, I picture angels in heaven all the time in response to us. They're saying, is she ever going to get it, you know? But coming to that point, and we all had those points in, in many, many different ways, getting on our knees and say, God, I can't do this. And all the angels leap up and go, finally, I can't do this. I can't do this day without God. And so God's word, God's law that brings peace, Paulette, Lord, how am I to deal with this? Well, Kathy, and everything... Your response, your response about Clint is teaching your daughters. Your response to Clint is teaching Clint. He's fearfully and wonderfully made, handmade by me. Your disappointment in what he does is influencing the way he thinks about himself. I've got a way for you to talk to him and a way for you to deal with this continually bad habit of his of losing his glasses. It's in kindness, first of all. It's in love, it's in acceptance, and then it's in training him. This is what we do. Um, oh, I had something else I wanted to say, but let me, let me just go on. Um, oh, set a timer. Set a timer on the things that tick you off. Set a timer on the things that tick you off. Have you ever not been able to get something out of your head? Maybe it's what, something some person has done to me. Do you know I have people come to me and tell me, I just see that person and I get... I get so angry. All right? All right? What's that telling? That's telling on us. Maybe it's not even a person in your realm, but it's a political, a political person. You see a person on the news and you go, oh. okay? This is for the purpose. The emotion is not wrong, but if you keep it, if you keep it, if I keep it, it's wrong. It's going to rob me of my peace. It's going to rob me of my abounding. And God says, no, no, you cast that. And ready? You pray for that person. This has been a learned response that I've had to learn as politicians come onto, into, into my brain or into my viewing, and it just burns me up because it's so unfair. Right here, right here. It's the same response. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Pray until that anger 
is gone and ask God to replace it with his love. Only then do I then experience that great Psalms verse, great peace have I. I love your law. David pours his heart out and he says, Lord, teach me thy way. My way's not working. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Again, God's truth. Unite my heart. Every time my heart or my mind is filled with offense or anger, it is my opportunity to say, Lord, I need to deal with this right now. And if I don't, I just become a big garbage truck that we're going to talk about at the end of this class. Um, but first of all, number one, I don't know how far I've gotten. Give to the Lord my I have. There is nothing in this life that I can keep. There is nothing I have that is mine. It's all God's. It's all been lent to me to use for him, for his glory. And when I hold on to what I think I have, whether it be a plan or a pursuit or, or a talent or securities or a husband or children or grandchildren. When I hang on to what I think I have to have, I'm going to be in anxiety every time. God's peace will not reside in my heart until I learn to give it to God. Give your have to, to God. By the way, when I think I have to prove that I'm right, peace leaves in a heartbeat. You don't have to prove anything. They just have to know what they did to me. No, they don't. No, they, they really don't. It's my pride that I'm hanging on to that I'm insisting. They have to know how wrong they are. Okay? No, they really don't. You know what they have to know? They have to know that you love Jesus. They have to know that God is good. They have to know that you're forgiving. They have to see Jesus in me. That is the most important and when I let go of my half too, then Jesus shines. Um, when I have to have my way, okay, that's what, that all consumes me. Um, after tucking their three-year-old child, Sammy, in bed, his parents heard him sobbing. They rushed back in the room, and they found him crying hysterically. He managed to tell them that he had swallowed a penny, and he was sure he was going to die. No amount of talking helped. His father, in an attempt to calm him down, palmed a penny from his pocket and pretended to pull it from Sammy's ear. Sammy was delighted. In a flash, he snatched the penny from his daddy's hand, swallowed it, and cheerfully demanded, Do it again, Daddy! <laughs> Satan tricks us into swallowing his lies. He tricks us into swallowing his lies. Eve swallowed the lie. She began living under the truth that she had to have that fruit. She had to have that fruit. She had to have it. Satan tricks us in believing that we have to have something. If it's in contrast to what God tells me to have and not have, I'm living in conflict with the truth. And there is going to be anxiety every single time. Um, Going back to, oh, I, I want an illustration, I want to give you this illustration, but what I have to have. We naturally think we have to have certain things, and it sets us up to live in conflict with God's truth and never experience his peace. Some, some natural things that we think we have to have. We think we have to have what? Tell me. Health, don't you? When, when something comes in and takes away your health, I have to have my health. Now, I do have a responsibility. This is the temple of God. I have greatly refrained 
um, sugars and breads in my life because of what they do to this body. Um, God expects us to be responsible and wise with the brain that he gave us. But I don't have to have good health if God takes it away. If life takes it away, life is going to take away everything we have. That's why we can't have anything. This life takes it all away. I don't, you and I, you don't have to have a husband, but don't we grow up thinking I have to have a husband? Mm -hmm. uh, don't we grow up thinking I have to have children? Mm -hmm. No, I don't have to have children. I don't have to have a husband. Matter of fact, I am not to have, I'm not to live unto that have. I'm to give that to God. I have to have a home. No, actually, I don't. I'm not living unto what I have to have. All I have to have is what I find in Christ. And in him, I am complete. And then I will have the peace that passes understanding. And all these other things shall be what, class? Added unto you according to God's plan and God's permission. Her name was Helen Lemmel. She was born in England in 1863. She lived with her family. Um, he was, her dad was a Methodist minister. And they all immigrated to the Americas when she was a child. She loved music, and she was extremely talented just from a tiny little girl. They nurtured that love of music. When she was old enough, she returned to Europe to study music in Germany. While she was there, she fell in love with a wealthy businessman. They got married, but then the fires and turmoil of World War II began, and Helen and her husband returned to the United States. At the height of her fame, she was traveling everywhere, singing, performing, writing music, teaching music. She was all in all of the early, very fundamental then colleges and universities, Moody, I mean, all I of didn't them. Get that. Could you try again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I figured as much. Oh, <laughs> oh well, let's see. <laughs> Somebody else is listening, right? Yeah, yeah. So at the height of Helen's fame, tragedy struck. Helen went blind due to an illness. Her husband, not able to face a wife who was an invalid, abandoned her, leaving her financially, and I'm assuming emotionally, destitute. This is now in the early 1900s. She's living in a sparse bedroom on a little bit of government assistance. Whenever she was asked how she was doing, she would reply, I'm doing well in the things that count. I'm doing well in the things that count. That's a powerful statement. It so convicted me as I was reading her biography. I'm doing well in the things that count. Helen had a small plastic keyboard by her bed, and there she'd play and sing and cry and write. And one day, she would say to people who would visit, God is going to bless me with a real heavenly keyboard. I can hardly wait. Helen Lemmel wrote nearly 500 hymns during her life. So what was one of the hymns this blind lady penned at the age of 57? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory.
glory and grace. Second verse, O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. She was abounding in the things that count. Going back to Martha from last week's lesson. Okay, I have you for three more minutes. Don't move. The dinner table. Instead of getting a hold of God's grace, she was holding on to, as a matter of fact, Jesus was in the other room. He was in the front room. She had held on to what she had to have. The consequence of me not giving my have to Jesus is I will never see what Jesus could do. I will never see what he could have done, what he longs to do. Martha's meal. Jesus could have spoken a meal into existence. Think of it. Think of the table he would have prepared. Right now he's preparing a table for us. Think on that. But he could have prepared that table and think of the table centerpiece. I love table centerpieces. You know what his table centerpiece would have been, Jan? I think it would have been his signature flower. Lily of the valley. Lily of the valley. Martha was in a valley. She was in a low spot. We experience it all the time. Jesus is Lily. He's the fragrance in our valley. He's the fragrance in our low spots, Nicole. But in Martha's home, she may have had fragrance coming from her kitchen. She may have cooked a delicious meal, but all she served was indigestion. Yep. Scripture says in Proverbs 15, 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred or even a low burn or agitation. Nobody enjoys time eating together when something has happened that has irritated and the response is wrong. So what do I need to do in, in, in assessing God's grace? It's all God's. It's not mine. Give him my have. Number two, God has a plan and provides his grace, his promise. Learn to access it. Learn to stop and pray. Say, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Lord, give me a soft answer. Lord, show me what I need to do. Number two is God has a plan. Find God's plan for it. He will have a response connected to every single one of these things. I'm telling you right now, with people, it's going to be forgiveness. And with situations, it's going to be trust. But he will have specific responses written out because Kathy's a slow learner so that she can learn them. Number three, my response, my choice affects others. Don't get in the way. Let God do his work. My response, my choice affects others. Don't get in the way. Let go and let God do his work. And number four, give God glory. Give God glory in it. Give God glory in these things. God, you're in charge of this. My times from last week, my times are in thy hand. You're going to work something for your glory out. I love this saying that uh, Trina gave me. Correct me if I get it wrong, babe, but it's um, don't judge my day by my harvest. Don't, don't you ever have a day that you feel like it's just been wasted? And you've, you've, you've worked so hard in it, and you don't see the harvest. You don't see the results. Don't judge my day by my harvest, but rather by the seeds I've planted. 
That gives you and me a grasp, a hold on. Every day is productive. I get to plant seeds all day long. I'm not going to look at the harvest. That's in God's hands. But he's told me to plant seeds. Don't judge your day by your harvest, but by the seeds you've planted. And then last, splash everyone around you with God's grace. And I end with this. One day I hopped in a taxi and we took off for the airport. We were driving in the right lane when suddenly a car jumped out of a parking space right in front of us. My taxi driver slammed on his brakes, skidded, and missed the other car just by inches. The driver of the other car whipped his head out, started yelling on us and giving us gestures. My taxi driver just smiled and waved at the guy. I mean, he was really friendly, truly. So I asked, why did you just do that? This guy almost ruined your car and sent us to the hospital. This is what the taxi driver taught me, which I now recall. The law of the garbage truck. He explained, there are many people like garbage trucks. They run around full of garbage, full of frustration, full of anger, full of disappointment. As their garbage piles up, they need a place to dump it. Sometimes they dump it on you. Don't take it personally. Just smile, wave. Wish them well. By the way, this is all God's instruction. It's my response. And move on. Don't take their garbage and spread it to other people at home or at work or in the streets. The bottom line is that successful Christians do not let garbage trucks take over their life. They become a grace truck. Life is too short to wake up in the morning with regrets. So love the people who treat you right. Pray for those who don't. Life is 10% what you make it and 90% how you take it. So ready, girls? Today, affect somebody as you abound to every good work, touching them with God's grace. In Jesus' name, amen.